Al Jazeera podcast. Leave me alone! Calm now, my little one. I... What are you even doing here? We're divorcing. Go away! I'm working! There I am. You are my reflection. Las dos Fridas. In 1939, I painted the two Fridas. I always loved anatomy, so I used a deep red to unite them by the main artery. One Frida was me after the disaster of Diego, blood spooling on my white dress. And the other Frida, before heartbreak. Neither one can exist without the other. They are two hearts that beat together. Oh, go away, Diego! I never want to see your tooth-timing face again. I married the famous Mexican painter Diego Rivera when I was 22, and it would be years before I would finally emerge from his great big fat shadow. Mis queridas Fridas. Let us lay it all out for them to see. Every time pain brought me down, I painted it. I am a mixture of so many things. My defective body, my trampled heart, my poor trampled heart. Ever wonder what history's most famous and infamous people would say if you asked them for their side of the story? Well, this is it. You're listening to Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. I'm Charles Dance. This is a dramatized series based on historical events that resurrect some of the world's most memorable figures. In this episode, we meet Mexican artist Frida Kahlo, a master of self-portraits. Her uncompromising oil paintings, always deeply personal, dealt with identity, the human body, and death. The vibrant colors reflecting the passion and pain of an extraordinary woman. During her lifetime, Frida Kahlo was known as the wife and perhaps even the creation of her famous husband, Diego Rivera. It wasn't until after her death that Frida was regarded as a revolutionary artist, an individualist with a distinctly feminist identity. In hindsight, it's easy to see how the two Fridas can be reconciled into one extraordinary woman. Hindsight, you've heard of them, but now it's time you hear from them. I was born Magdalena Carmen Frida Calo y Calderón. I was the third of four daughters born to my parents Matilde and Guillermo. I grew up in the quiet neighborhood of Coyoacán, outside Mexico City. My mother was Mexican, a mix of Spanish and indigenous heritage. My father was German. So we were all a beautiful mix, or mestizo, as we say. 
and I was brought into this world on the 6th of July, 1910, the year of the revolution. Frida chose to present 1910 as the year of her birth, in an attempt to tie her identity to that of modern Mexico. She was actually born in 1907. And our house. You've never seen a more peaceful place. The Casa Azul, the blue house, with its verdant courtyard and visiting butterflies and wild parrots. It was my haven. My mother was Catholic and very charming, like a little bell from Oaxaca. My father was free and creative, but life was difficult for them. Their health was poor. I guess that ran in the family. That and a revolutionary spirit. The Mexican Revolution started in 1910 when people rose up against General Porfirio Diaz. He'd been in power for more than 30 years until 1911 when he resigned and went into exile. The revolution marked the beginning of 10 years of a bloody power vacuum. One of the factions battling for the future of Mexico were the Zapatistas, a peasant army demanding agrarian reform. It was against this background that Frida grew up in. My mother welcomed those courageous Zapatistas in and helped the wounded. She also fed them corn tortillas, which was pretty much all there was to eat in Coyoacán at the time. We saw it all from our house. We were all fighting to move Mexico towards equality for everyone. But my body was never going to be built for fighting. My health issues began at six years old when I contracted polio. Papa, I feel cold. Can I lie down? It felt like a flu at first, but after the fever subsided, my leg shriveled. I was so scared. My family tried to keep my spirits up, but it was tough being bedridden. <laughs> I'd look to the window to see a girl there. She'd wave and I'd tell her my secrets. I could trust she would never tell anyone. Young Frida spent nine months in bed recovering from polio. Plenty of time to explore her imagination and dive into the world of fantasy with her imaginary friend. When the doctors gave me the all clear, I was desperate to get back to school and see my friends. I was unsteady on my feet, but I promised Mama I wouldn't overdo it. I wore extra socks to disguise how thin my right leg had become, but I couldn't disguise my walk. My right leg was slightly deformed and shorter now than my left, so it was difficult to control my limp. My first day back at school didn't go as I had hoped. Father enrolled me in wrestling and boxing to help me recover. We were always close, and as I grew older, we spent even more time together. Papa, I'm ready. He was a great photographer, 
He specialized in landscapes, buildings, and interiors. He taught me about light, how it caressed the jacarandas at dusk, or cast hard shadows along the road at midday. Where do you want me to look, Papa? Straight to the camera. Okay. He also took portraits and let me watch him work sometimes. I loved how each person revealed something about themselves. I could tell if someone had something to hide or if someone was shy. Guillermo described Frida as the most intelligent of his daughters. As Frida grew into adolescence, the world around her settled somewhat. The violence of the Mexican Revolution came to an end in 1920, but it left its mark on Frida. Yes, I've got everything. Bye, Papa. Bye, Mama. When I was 15 years old, I joined the National Preparatory School, and I loved it. I was fascinated with anatomy, and I was thinking seriously about becoming a doctor. But it wasn't just school that opened up my eyes to a new world. It was the people. There were the Contemporáneos, a modernist literary group. And most importantly, the political group Los Cachuchas. We loved to mess around. My first true love was a cachucha, too. <laughs> Alejandro, my Alex, come to my house after school. <laughs> Alex and our friends also loved to pull pranks. Nothing too daring, but just enough to have a bit of fun. Run, run, run! <laughs> Frida was certainly mischievous. A popular trick was to soap the stairs at school to trip up professors. She felt invincible. Until someone totally unexpected showed up at school and saw right through her tricks. Sixteen-year-old Frida watched from her hiding spot as the famed painter, Diego Rivera, walked slowly down the stairs without slipping. Frida was captivated. I will have Diego Rivera's children one day. <laughs> but the story of Frida and Diego will have to wait. And before they meet again, Frida will go through the worst day of her life, the 17th of September, 1925. <laughs> Venga, Alejandro, let's hop on this one. Alejandro and I were rushing for the bus. We had been going out for two years by this point. I was 18 and excited about my future. Dr. Frida Kahlo. Hmm? Had a good ring to it, I thought. Alejandro, there's some space on the wooden bench. Do you know the tragic irony? We weren't supposed to be on that bus. At least, we had got off another one because I had lost my umbrella. Imagine how different my life would have been if it weren't for that umbrella. As the bus driver turned a corner, a tram traveling at full speed crashed into it. 
I remember it as though everything was happening in slow motion, like a strange dream. A handrail came off and stabbed me the way a sword pierces a ball. Uh, uh, Alex, what happened? The rail punctured Frida's abdomen and uterus. Her spine was broken in three places, her pelvic bone was fractured, her shoulder dislocated, and her right leg, thin and short from polio, was shattered. It is a lie that one is aware of a crash. A lie that one cries. In me there were no tears. Frida spent a month bedridden in hospital. I was broken from top to bottom. Death was in my room. When I went back home, I had to depend on my family for everything. I felt like a child again. Pain was my constant companion during those long days and even longer nights. My body, my mind were screaming from inside the cast that held me together. It was a hell I never knew existed. My body no longer felt like my own. Death was never far away. I could see him perched at the foot of my bed. <sighs> How I longed for Alejandro's touch. Please, my love, come. I miss you. But two months after the accident, Alejandro dumped me. I was devastated. Now my heart and body were united in their trauma. I lay there in agony with loneliness as my companion. That is, until my parents gave me the most unexpected gift. A paintbrush? What am I supposed to do with that? The worst tragedy in Frida's life also became a portal to her talent. A talent she was about to discover more after this break. Welcome back. So that was when it truly began. My father lent me his oil paints, and my mother gave me an easel that I could rest on my lap. My parents also hung a small mirror over my bed so that I could see my reflection. Since my arms were practically the only parts of my body that worked properly, I painted. I began to discover different versions of myself depending on the light or my mood. I was so often alone, I soon became the subject I knew best. Over the next two years, Frida underwent more operations to straighten her vertebrae. With each recovery, she would paint. She grew stronger each day in both body and talent. I had a lot of time to think, and Alejandro occupied so many of my thoughts. I was desperate to be with him. So I painted. Place her where she'll always be looking up at you and think of me. She painted self-portrait in a velvet dress in 1926, but her token of love went unanswered. I carried on painting, 
my friends from school, the Cachuchas, appeared in my works, as did the great revolutionary soldiers. In 1927, I joined the Young Communist League, and when I was strong enough, I'd attend the meetings with a hammer and a sickle pinned to my blouse. As always, I painted about it. Let's put some more brown in here. Day and night, I thought about the history of Mexico, our struggles. Hmm. Yes, yes. And I will sit at the center, ready to stand up for the rights of the poor. I was in pain most of the time and held together with various braces, but at least I was out living life. By the time I was 21, I was feeling like a true artist. But I needed to know if I was good enough to make a living from it. If not, I'd burn my brushes and find something else to do with my life. But to help me decide, I needed an expert's opinion. In 1928, I was running in political and artistic circles. That's how I found out Diego Rivera was painting a mural for the Ministry of Education in the city. So I went to see him. Hey! Diego! Come down! Oh, who is that little doll flitting there? Diego Rivera was a preeminent painter of the 20th century. Famous for his colossal murals, he was also a staunch member of Mexico's Communist Party and he wove both his Marxism and his distaste for the ruling class into his works. I said, come down! He looked down at the painting I was holding. He nodded and came to meet me. Do you really think so? Come by my house this weekend and you can see the rest? And he did! I was nervous, of course. Such a genius in my home looking at what I was sure he'd think were hobby paintings. I hoped he liked them. Okay, I was hoping he'd like me too. He ended up coming around to the house a lot. He called me his little dove. Frida and Diego started their love affair in 1928, much to her mother's disapproval. Mama. Just because he's fat does not mean he's not meant for me. My mother bristled at his rotund belly and couldn't get over the fact that he was both an atheist and a communist. The fact that Diego was much older and already married with two children didn't help convince my parents either. But we were inseparable. We went for long walks and talked about, well, Everything. All was on the table. Art, politics. I have read that too. How will the new communist world look to you then? We will all be equal. We already are. We just need to topple the fools who think otherwise. Frida found her kindred spirit at a time of radical politics in 1920s Mexico. I remember our first kiss. We were standing by a lamppost, and as if it knew that this moment was ours, the light went off as we kissed. 
it pinked back on after. At 43, Diego was 21 years her senior. People described Frida as being one of his disciples rather than his equal. Never ones to worry about what others thought, Diego divorced his wife and in 1929 asked for Frida's hand in marriage. I must look just right for him. I kept my black hair in two long black plates tied above my head. I had a thick monobrow, which I never plucked, and a mustache. By this point, I was used to wearing long skirts to cover my bad leg. But Diego inspired me to explore traditional Mexican clothing. The day we married, I asked my maid if I could borrow an indigenous skirt, blouse, and shawl for the ceremony. Frida had crafted herself to look like the wife she thought Diego desired. Her choice to wear clothing from Tijuana, such as full skirts and embroidered blouses, was a political statement. The garments came from a matriarchal community, and by wearing them, she was showing respect for Mexican women. My father had one thing to say to Diego. Notice that my daughter is a sick person, and all her life she will be sick. She is intelligent, but not pretty. Think it over if you want... And if you wish to get married, I give you my permission. I now pronounce you Mr. and Mrs. Diego Rivera. You have made an old man very happy. <laughs> my mother said it was like a marriage between an elephant and a dove. She had a special way with words. We hosted a party, but Diego became extremely drunk, heaving himself about the place. I guess that was just Diego. No one's perfect. Anyway, by the next morning, I had mostly forgotten about his antics. Frida left the party in tears. Diego was so inebriated that he broke a man's finger and fought with his new wife. Their adventure had certainly begun. During our first year of marriage, Diego was expelled from the Communist Party. It was absurd. They used one of his murals as evidence that he had known about an attack on political activist Julio Meja. As if. Diego also sympathized with the Russian revolutionary Leon Trotsky. He was exiled for opposing leader Joseph Stalin's one-country socialism ideals. Back then, if you were against Stalin, you were against the party. Diego, if the Communist Party doesn't want you, then they can't have me either. I quit. I was enjoying my domestic life in those early days. I used to bring Diego his lunch when he was at work in a basket covered with flowers. Life was beautiful. And then... Diego, I'm pregnant. But this pregnancy, like so many afterwards, ended in miscarriage. A letter in the mail provided a much-needed distraction. They want me to paint at the San Francisco Stock Exchange, the luncheon club. Will you come with me? Mi amor, where you go, I go. 
the American ambassador to Mexico sent Diego the invitation in 1930. After the year we had had, I was looking for adventure. Hello, pleased to meet you. Me? I am Frida Kahlo. I... Oh, well, yes, he's just over there. But I would have to find that adventure on my own. In the United States, I was simply known as Diego's wife. Salud! 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 Diego spent long days painting. He was focused on making sure the everyman and, of course, communism were celebrated. After San Francisco, Diego was asked to exhibit his work at New York's Museum of Modern Art. The couple arrived in November 1931. And this time, people were intrigued by Frida Kahlo. They invited her to high society parties of New York's art scene. With a tequila in my hand to numb the throbbing of my leg, I reveled in the company. Including one of America's top artists. Diego, sure. It's my turn to whirl madam around the room. Oh, Frida. Georgia, come. Take my waist. <laughs> I adored Georgia O'Keefe. She spoke with such conviction. She was a fierce feminist. Her paintings rejoiced women and her sexual experiences. The way she used flowers. It took my breath away. We became very close. <laughs> New York was a turning point for me. With so many magnificent galleries, I'd breathe in art every day. I was happy, but I admit, there was always an inkling feeling reminding me of home. As the weeks passed, I couldn't help but feel the United States was a country far from a fair society. It had an every-man-for-himself mentality. People had a complete disregard for those who had no food in their bellies nor shoes on their feet. Their attitudes represented everything I hated. Then, in 1932, Ford Motors commissioned Diego to paint in Detroit. We were on the move again, but I was so homesick. I missed the Casa Azul and the long conversations to sunrise with my friends and family. I especially missed my sister, Cristina, how I loved her. My only solace was Diego's pride in my paintings. He'd tell everyone how talented I was. That helped to spur me on. I went back to Mexico in my paintings. I created a self-portrait on the borderline between Mexico and the United States. If I closed my eyes, I could smell the soil, touch the blooms in my garden back home. I infused the canvas with my heritage, juxtaposing that with America's industrial life, its coldness. I painted the American flag in a cloud of factory smog. Then, the Mexican sun and moon, full of vitality in soft clouds, where they touched. I painted a magnificent lightning bolt to demonstrate the power of Mother Nature. I painted myself in the middle, 
standing there trying to keep a grip of who I was in this new world. And the new world was not settling in for Frida. She became antagonistic and impatient. Where are you going in that tuxedo? Diego, you look ridiculous. <sighs> not now, Frida. She'd insult people, then pretend she didn't know what she was saying because her English was so poor. But the singular thought that consumed her was her inability to carry a child to term. No, not again. Mi amor. I can't... I can't lose this baby too. I was familiar with that dreaded wet feeling between my legs. We raced to the Henry Ford Hospital, but the doctors didn't have to tell me I had lost my baby. There was blood everywhere. She depicted the event in the portrait, Henry Ford Hospital. The blood, the scars. I painted my body exactly as it was. The conventions of beauty did not concern me. My body was inhospitable. It was a chamber for death. Barely recovered, Frida received word from home that her mother was dying of breast cancer. In September 1932, she traveled to Mexico. A week after she arrived, her mother died. My darling mama, I was grateful that I made it back before she left this world. But I couldn't get over this overwhelming guilt of being absent for so long. I went back to the U.S. and told Diego it was time for us to return to Mexico. But he refused. He was loving the fame and praise he was getting in Detroit. But I was done with American capitalism. I couldn't stop thinking about my Mexico. I started painting... My dress hangs there. I felt so disconnected. I didn't bother painting my face. While Diego refused to leave the United States, he soon found that he had no choice in the matter. His murals, raising Marxism, had become controversial. In 1933, people began protesting against his artwork at the Detroit Institute of Arts Museum. An editorial published in the local paper called it foolishly vulgar, un-American, and must be whitewashed. But what did the future have planned for Frida when she returned to Mexico? We'll tell you after this break. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. We returned home in January 1934 after nearly four years abroad. The scent of fresh tamales wafting through the streets. The sight of the sun kissing Coyoacán Square. Mexico greets you gloriously when you return to her. 
we settled back in at Casa Azul, and my joy had no bounds. Come in, come in! How we've missed you all! But Diego's moods were like charcoal, dusty, black. Diego, come and dance. My love, stop moping and drinking all of my tequila. While happy to be home, 1934 was also difficult for Frida. She needed an operation on her foot for an ulcer. Her appendix had to be removed and she had to undergo a medical abortion. But Diego's misery overshadowed it all. He blamed Frida for dragging him back to Mexico. The worst, however, was yet to come for Frida. Extramarital affairs were common in their marriage, but an affair in 1935 was one she could never forget. Diego and my sister's affair destroyed me. I chopped off all my hair in a desperate, destructive fit. Her paintings became more raw. In a few small snips, Frida lies butchered on a table, naked in front of Diego. She also painted self-portrait with curly hair, where she is void of the long flowing locks that Diego loved so much. However, she could not stay away from Diego for long. Hello, Diego. We should talk. Forgiveness is hard, but I missed him. We decided to try again. Their reunion, however, was interrupted by a call for help. Leon. Well, you must come here at once. Can you believe, Diego, that nobody wants to help Leon Trotsky and his wife? They have nowhere to go. Things aren't exactly great here. He's a revolutionary. Like me. It will be enormous fun. Diego and Frida successfully persuaded the government to give Leon Trotsky and his wife Natalia Sadova political asylum in Mexico. They arrived in January 1937. Trotsky and Frida eventually began an affair. Oh, you're so brilliant. Enough. In front of me is one thing, but for Natalia, this is too much. She's not like you. Come, Leon, before this frog explodes. Follow me. Mexico was protecting those most dear to the cause, and I was happy to be part of keeping such a great man safe. I called him Piochitas, little goatee, and he hid love letters for me in books. Our love affair was sweet, but brief. The Trotskys moved out after two years with us. I painted self-portrait dedicated to Leon Trotsky. Before parting ways, however, Trotsky put Frida in touch with French surrealist André Breton. It was he who helped Frida get her first solo exhibition outside of Mexico. Frida returned to New York for her own solo exhibition at the Julian Levy Gallery. This time, she was no longer just Diego Rivera's wife. 
after New York came Paris. Welcome, Madame Calo. Breton had organized an exhibition at the Pierre Cole Gallery. 1939 was shaping up to be a promising year for Frida, the artist. The Louvre even purchased one of her paintings, the frame, a colorful self-portrait on wood. She also met Pablo Picasso. Oh, Pablo, such exquisite earrings. Gracias. I was slowly stepping out of Diego's shadow. He was no longer the center of my world. I was making a name for myself. While the U.S. and Europe catapulted Frida into the international art scene, the time apart did little for her already fragile marriage. My happiness evaporated when I returned to Mexico. Your father was right. You are a devil. You are the devil. Diego told me the worst things you can imagine and the dirtiest insults. Diego was once quoted as saying that the more he loved a woman, the more he wanted to hurt her. Frida was a victim of this trait. By the end of 1939, Frida and Diego divorced. Just like in other times in her life, out of her darkest moments came some of her most memorable art. Self-portrait with cropped hair shows her void of feminine features, her traditional Mexican dress and her signature plaits. At her feet sit clumps of her hair. A shorn Frida, totally transformed. My life will be my own. My money. I will rely on no one. During this period, she painted the two Fridas. In it, two women are anatomically bound together by the heart's main artery and both stare unflinchingly back at the viewer. Which Frida is she now? In the summer of 1940, Frida's world shook once again. Trotsky was assassinated. My dear Leon. Another soldier of the cause. Gone. What? How dare you? He was my friend. The police had the audacity to accuse me of having something to do with his murder simply because our politics were aligned. I needed to talk to someone, and the only person I wanted to be with was my Diego. You know, medically, I cannot be with one woman. So be it. And I will not go to bed with you. My wish is to be independent. Frida and Diego remarried in December 1940, within a year of their divorce. Though she craved financial freedom, she'd need his support her entire life. In 1943, she took on work as an art teacher. She wanted to inspire her students to tap into their Mexican identity. Itu? What do you think? Yes, yes. Look at your beautiful country. Take heart from her and let her lead your work. But like all good things in Frida's life, her newfound enthusiasm came to an end. After enduring countless operations related to the bus accident so many years before, she once again found herself held together with a steel corset. She could not sit or stand without it. 
I had grown so malnourished from surgery after surgery and lying in bed that I had to be force-fed. It was a new horror. My body and Diego were the two disasters I had to endure. In 1945, Frida painted Without Hope, a tragic work showing her arms pinned down and a mishmash of bones, carcasses and entrails being poured down her throat. Some art historians say she created some of the most sublime examples of surrealist paintings. Do not let anyone tell you that I'm a surrealist. What I painted was my reality. From that point on, I don't remember being separated from my pain. Morphine! Bring her more morphine! We must go, or we will be late. You must rest. I'll be fine. I always am. Give me the dose, then let's go. The Ministry of Education awarded me the National Prize for Art and Sciences for my work, Moses. Gracias, gracias. <laughs> I had recently had yet another spinal surgery, but I wouldn't have missed that day for the world. This was a seminal moment for Frida. Lauded by the establishment and celebrated by her friends and family. Moses is a timeless masterpiece, painted in a mural style, just like Diego's works. But Moses is characteristically Frida, her obsession with life and death and Mexican antiquity. By the late 1940s, Frida's health was quickly deteriorating. In 1950, she underwent seven surgeries on her spine. It wasn't until later in the year where she'd be able to paint, and even then only a few hours a day. By 1951, her movement was extremely limited, but her mind was unstoppable. Now, for the revolution. I must go on for all Mexicans. Frida believed the only reason for her to continue was to serve the Communist Party. But instead of painting herself, she used food to portray her misery, as in weeping coconuts. I was getting worse. I needed repeated injections for the gangrene in my leg and for the pain. I lay there in the dark with a lamp on my leg to keep it warm. Throughout my life, death visited my room, but I wasn't ready to welcome him. Get me my cigarettes. And the syringe? I need my medication. My dear friend, photographer Lola Álvarez Bravo, made a solo exhibition of my work. I was determined to attend. In April 1953, Frida traveled by ambulance to the Mexico City Gallery of Contemporary Art. There, she was carried into the room on a stretcher and placed on a bed. Her only solo exhibition in Mexico was a huge success. But her joy was short-lived. Not my leg. Please. Don't let them. Shh, now. It's okay. They amputated my right leg from the knee down. Depression doesn't even begin to explain how I felt. My body was totally decimated. There was no relief. My Diego, 
past my diary. There's something I want to sketch. By this point, the pain was so severe, I could only sketch in my diary. Death was back at the foot of my bed. I knew this time he would not leave without me. But as death stepped out from its shadow, an angel emerged, her hand stretching out towards me. From behind her back, gigantic wings unfurled. I drew her quickly and then gave her my hand. I felt wholly calm. It was my time. I looked towards death and hoped never to come back. Frida died at home on the 13th of July, 1954. Her final notes in the diary include a long list of thanks to her doctors and comrades and sketches of winged figures. The last image she ever drew was of a black angel. The official cause of death was recorded as a pulmonary embolism. During her life, she laid bare her torment, joy, and defects for all to see. Her works presented a coarse truth. She was never one to shy away from the imperfections of life. Despite a lifetime dancing with death, she never shied away from living. While she achieved some notoriety during her lifetime, it wasn't until after her death that she got true international recognition. Frida Kahlo's image is now synonymous with feminism, power, and creativity. She's celebrated as a revolutionary, a rebel, and above all, an artist. Hindsight is narrated by me, Charles Stance. This series was produced by South Podcasts. And their team is managing producer Tala Alisa, editor Morgan Waters, director, producer, and editor Tala Halawa, assistant producer Basant Samhut, associate producer Kaula Alhamuri, sound design by Taysir Kabani, assembly sound editing by Yazan Kawas. This episode is written by Louise Sinaton. Research by Rama Sabanek. Fact-checking by Tarak Ayub. Special thanks to Hilda Trujillo Soto for speaking to us about the character. Interview translation by Emma Mendez Rossell and Lenin Calderon Gomez. Frida Kahlo is played by Ana Banderas. Extra voices played by Carlos Serrato and Mercedes Velasco Suarez. Recording by 5A Studios and Manhattan Beat. Additional research and fact-checking by Al Jazeera. Joe DeFrias is the executive producer of Special Projects. Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Asil Mansour is the manager of digital content strategy. Juan Carlos Van Meek is Al Jazeera's director of digital innovation and programming. Hindsight is a historical drama podcast. All dramatized scenes and dialogue are inspired by historical events, old interviews, and in some cases, new conversations with people close to the subject.